Welcome to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Griego-Kyle of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, we discuss sustainable impact investing, creating portfolios that match your values, and a variety of other topics such as financial education, social justice, and sustainable food systems. Do you want to know if your investments seek the kind of accountability from corporations that you demand? Listen in as we explore the burning question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Grego kyle from Horizons Sustainable Financial Services. Kim, how are you? I am great today. And you? I am doing fantastic. I Can I brag on you a little bit? Sure. Okay. So audience, here's the deal. Kim just passed 10,000 downloads of her podcast. That's a, that's a huge milestone. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited for you. You bring such great information and the, the fact that you're educating that many people, uh, that's, that's what I'm, I look forward to meeting with you every time. Thank you, Eric. And I, I'm also incredibly thrilled because I love doing these podcasts. It's one of the favorite things I do. Yeah, and, and I'm really excited for today because you're talking about food, and I love food. <laughs> yeah, food is so important. Yeah. It makes us happy, and it nourishes us. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about what's wrong with our food and agricultural mm. systems and talk about why they're dying and why mm. so few investors are interested all right. Well, let's let's get it. I know you've been researching. I have. And I also want to mention this is a bit of a follow-up from uh, episode 61 where I had Vicki Benjamin on. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the things that she does at Carner Blue are involved in food and ag. Um, also, there's so many other episodes that I've done that relate to this. Episode 55, 42, which was Climate Smart Agriculture, and 43, food supply chains. Mm-hmm. And really, I, I hope clients or listeners will go back and, and listen to those episodes if they haven't, because these topics all go together. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, um, I just want to say the more I have been learning about this topic, the more passionate I get about it. Mm-hmm. I am incredibly passionate about food systems and the topic of regenerative agriculture. These two things are incredibly important to the investing world. And really what we're going to talk about is how much this industry is missing the mark on these two strategies. So we got to do better. Yeah. Can you, can you kind of define regenerative agriculture for me? Because I, I always think of, and I'm, this is very, probably very simplistic because you know i'm in nebraska but i I think of that as you know they plant corn one year and they plant soybeans the next so it's like a rotation to re you know reinvigorate the soil is it along those lines it is along those lines and making sure that the soil health is there um, water we're being environmentally conscious Mm -hmm. on the food that we grow all of these things are important and we have to make sure that our fields that food is being grown in don't become fallow or not be able to supply nutrition. But food systems are connected to every area of impact investing. 
And I think a lot of people don't see that. But food and agriculture touch environment, climate change, water, social justice issues, uh, things around uh, our livelihood and fair wage issues, Mm -hmm. education, and on and on and on. (laughs) I really probably could claim that almost every aspect of impact investing involves our food systems in some way. Yeah. And there's a crisis in this system, in, in our food systems, that practically no one is talking about. There are a few people who are out there trying to shout it from the rooftops, and I think I'm starting to be one of those because I, <laughs> I do talk about food a lot. Uh, but many of the foods that we consume, and this might scare some people, but coffee and wheat, they could go extinct. Can you imagine no oh, coffee? So. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's let's talk about why because it's oh another one that we've heard a lot lately too is um, the cacao industry or chocolate. Okay, Um, that's it. That's it. Yeah. That's where I draw the line because (laughs) I live I live with a woman who who loves both coffee and chocolate, and if those are gone, I'm a dead man. Okay, that's just right. Just you know. So, so the food industry is also touching the, the marital industry and the divorce industry. Uh, right? Oh, no. It could be everything. But, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, really, seriously, we're, we're losing some of our staples, or we could lose some of our staples. But we have to mm. look, as an industry, at the true cost yeah. of the problems. And it includes the social and environmental cost. It's what we would call a true cost analysis mm-hmm. and really look at the impact. But you asked why or how yeah. they were going away. So I read this article recently by a gentleman named Dan Saladino. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right in case he ever listens to this. But he's a BBC journalist, and he's the author of a book called Eating to Extinction. I don't have it yet, but I'm going to get it. Um, I, as I said, I was reading this um, interview, And he was explaining that there are really only two species of coffee plants being grown. Really? Two. Yeah. And the problem with this is the industry looks at one of those as an inferior product, inferior plant. And the other main coffee, which is the Arabica bean Mm -hmm. or plant, is threatened by a fungal disease and, of course, by climate change issues. Hmm. So Mr. Saldino goes on and he points out that our food diversity is on a big decline. And the problem here is like with coffee, if we only have two varieties, there's a higher likelihood of extinction, destruction by disease, or the issues with our climate are going to be a much bigger problem on them. And what happens when we limit the varieties being grown is the global food system becomes much less resilient. Yeah. So those are those are a couple of important things. But another thing I was shocked by this even more so than coffee and chocolate, right? But with the wheat that we grow, our options of what's being grown are very narrow in terms of the genetic mm. process of those those wheat seeds and corn and rice. So corn, rice, wheat, these are staples of diets all around the world. 
So we could really have a problem here if yeah. we end up with disease-ridden plants, plants that won't reproduce, um, climate change issues. This becomes much higher uh, problem and, and a, a much bigger issue when we're looking at the entire global food chain. So shocking, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it is. It's one of those things where I, I never would have thought of wheat because I I look at wheat as something that can be grown. I'm not going to say almost everywhere, but in, right. in so many different places where you, know, you think of coffee, you think of uh, citrus type fruits, you think of um, even you know even chocolate or cocoa or however you pronounce right. that. Um, yeah. Those are very specific. I, I can't have a banana tree. I'm pretty sure you can't right. grow a banana tree either in your yard. No. Nope. Um, but my friend in Hawaii has one. But, exactly. Right. So if, <laughs> yeah. if this if any of these are limited to certain areas, then that again that that global crisis, the in, environmental change. That's, I mean, that can hugely affect it. And I just didn't think about wheat being in that category. Right. Or corn. Or corn, yeah. Really? Yeah, because we use corn not only to nourish bodies, but our uh, animals, mm -hmm. our mm -hmm. livestock. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's incredibly important to think about. Historically, these crop varieties have always been able to adapt to climate where they're being grown, they adapt to diseases of the region, and they become more resilient. But if we really continue to narrow these possibilities of, of growth and seed options, then we're going to have a problem. Mm -hmm. These issues don't just affect crops, but our livestock as well. And I'm not just talking about corn, that is a primary mm -hmm. feed of most cattle. But what happens is there's a narrowed genetic breeding process that happens and animals become less resilient. So our cows and our sheep mm -hmm. and our pigs and all of those things. If we limit our breeding stock, then you're going to have a problem. So yeah, I, I, I think the first time I ever thought about this truly, and it wasn't had nothing to do with animals until I learned later about that as well. But was when I was younger, the first time I ever saw a sign that said seedless watermelons and I had to stop and right? think, I was like, Wait a second. <laughs> how how do you grow that? How on God's green earth do you get a seedless watermelon? I mean, they, they would never have survived. But okay, I, I get it. That yeah. all these scientists have done such a, and I'm using air quotes, a great job of, of of altering so many of these different these different uh, plants so that they can grow in different climates and so on and so forth. I know that they're trying to do the right thing, or they were trying to do the right thing, but. I, I truly believe that is leading to a lot of this. Like you said with the animals, great. You get a big a fatter pig or a fatter cow that right. <laughs> delivers more meat, but doesn't help if he gets sick and, and diseased and dies in a week. Right. And here's a really clear example. And it doesn't have to do with our livestock, but let's, let's look at dogs, for mm -hmm. instance. Oh, yeah. And I have a pug. Pugs have been bred for the last hundred, maybe more years, to have a smushier and smushier face. Mm -hmm. And why do we do that? Because it meets a, quote, breed standard. Uh, is that breed standard healthy? No, it's not no. at all. And, you know, when we, when we look at what we're doing to, to dogs, we're also doing this to our livestock, the mm -hmm. food that we're going to be eating. And it's, it's a big problem. We also should look at the cultural relevance of our food systems. And 
food and animals, as you just mentioned, they can only be found in certain regions. We don't grow bananas here in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, but we do in other places. If the if the region where bananas are being grown suffer a dramatic dramatic climate change, the seeds for those banana trees can quickly become extinct. Yep, they won't be grown there, and they're limited in other places that they're grown. So if that continues to happen, we could end up with no bananas, right? Yep. And, 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 and again, any of those f- foods that you're mentioning, I, I know that they have, I think they call them hothouse or greenhouse tomatoes and things like that because right. they, they grow them in a building. But let's be honest, you can't cover a, a normal field all with buildings and have it be that be sustainable in any way, shape, or form, right? I mean, it's just- No. And yeah. feed everybody on this exactly. planet? Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. yeah. And- When we talk about the cultural relevance of our food, we also have to think about cultural loss. And that happens when one culture imposes their food and farming systems and their values on another culture. So we've seen that, for example, in indigenous communities across the United States for the last 400 years. We imposed our modern belief and systems on, and growing systems on native cultures, and they're losing seed as well. So we are losing. We're losing seeds. We're losing variety. I think about this whenever I grow something in my garden and I'm looking for, for new seeds. I try to look at the organic heirloom varieties Mm -hmm. and grow those because those are so rare. Yeah. And we want to make sure that they proliferate much more as we move forward. Yeah. So here's the big question, right? <laughs> you know, here well, we talked about the problem like I do, and then we want to talk about the solution and how do we address all of these issues and how do we save our endangered food and potentially our livestock and our planet, really, what we're doing in fields and that kind of thing. So how do we how do we save that? Please tell us. <laughs> okay. I, don't know. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to give me the answer. I know. <laughs> All right. So there's a there's a lot of different ways actually, um, and some of it is investing, but some of it is very practical things. We have to look at seed saving, and there are ancient cultures who have been doing seed saving processes for generation upon generation. There's a seed vault here in New Mexico. And, oh, I didn't know that. If you, yeah, if you don't know what a seed vault is, it's a, a, a place where seeds that are endangered are being stored so that they don't lose them. And our, our native populations here, our indigenous cultures, have been doing this for hundreds of years here in New Mexico. And they're trying to bring back some of these varietals that we've, we've lost. I also read about... Another seed saving vault, if we want to call it that, and it's buried deep under the ice in the Arctic, mm-hmm. and it's in a place called Salbard. Probably almost no one knows where that is. I don't specifically, but what they're doing is they're they're saving seeds under the ice, and there are over two hundred thousand different and unique samples of wheat in that vault Hmm. 200,000 
I can't even imagine there being that many different varietals. But our food industry is only using about 10 varieties. Sounds like a bad idea to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wondering why. I mean, is it just is it is right. it because they don't grow in certain areas and they're just it's a it's some some of them are hardier than others. I'm assuming. I think a lot of it has to do with industrial agriculture, mm. and that is a problem. When we think about what's being grown in our own backyards with our local farmers, those are often different than if you go to the farmers market, for example, than what you might get going to a regular grocery store. But in reality, if we want to feed this entire planet, we do have to have some kind of larger agricultural system. I'm not a big fan of industrial agriculture, Mm -hmm. partially because they're not taking care of the soil, they're not taking care of the water, Um, They're using pesticides. There's just so many things that they're doing. And when you add pesticides to those those plants that are growing, it gets in the soil. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just go away within one cycle. So industrial agriculture can be a problem. But if we want to feed this entire planet, we have to have some of it somehow, but better. Um, Anyway, the seed vault thing uh, is fascinating to me, and and I'm sure there's others around the world, and at least I hope they are, so um, we can rely on those different seed varieties when when we need to. We'll come back to the agriculture piece in, in a bit, but one of the other ways we can address this issue, and you've probably heard of this, the slow food movement. I have not. You haven't? Oh my gosh, Eric. Okay, so the slow food movement has been around probably about 10 years or so now. And the idea behind slow food is to think local and really support local agriculture, um, grow your own food. It's about, um, you don't have to grow everything. I'm not going to grow a field of wheat out here on my five acres, <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> for example. But but the idea of slow food is to, to really think about your food and how it nourishes you, where it's grown, how it's grown, and basically not ignore, don't ignore our food systems. So we have to have more people thinking that way rather than just a few in order to make a change in this in these areas. Yeah. So I would like to recommend to listeners to to learn more about their local ecosystems or the local eco or the actual ecosystem of their favorite food. So if what like your wife, it maybe chocolate, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe not her favorite food, but she probably really likes chocolate. She does. I love chocolate. Yeah, and a lot of people do. But we really need to pay more attention to the ecosystems of where cacao is being grown. Mm-hmm. And I know over the last three or four years, I've seen multiple articles about the fact that we could lose all of the cacao trees and seeds. And one of the reasons that I'm happy that this is getting out there is because people will pay more attention to it and think about the ecosystem and what they can do to support it. And sure, we don't live in a place that's growing chocolate, but well, the seeds to make chocolate. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But we need to think about that and how it's being grown and look more towards organic processes rather than chemical processes so that we can save these seeds. Supporting our local farmers. Very easy. Uh, I don't know about you, but a tomato that I get from the farmer's market tastes a lot better than most of the ones I'm going to get in the store, even in the summertime. And part of that is because they're using different varieties Mm -hmm. and, and growing unusual varieties, and we need to expand that. As I said, industrial agriculture, corporate farming, that kind of thing, even with our livestock industry, we have to take a closer look at what they're doing. And we can do that via investing. Yeah. Before I get to that, I just want to mention also, I like to save the seeds of a lot of the things I grow in my garden. So it's not just these big vaults, but I know a lot of people who save seeds so that they can grow them the next year, rather than hope they might be available from your favorite seed catalog. So that's yeah. something to think about if, you, if you're growing. It's so easy. Yeah. So easy to do. And well, and, and here's the thing is that eh, I don't want to dive down this rabbit hole too much, but I 100% agree supporting local farmers. I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. Um, I think that actually a good title for a podcast would be I like ugly tomatoes. Uh, because yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, one of the things within supermarkets that I learned a long time ago is that they, these, these big organizations, they throw away a ton of food because if it doesn't look perfect, they don't want to put yes. it on the shelves. And so that's another issue I have. But what you just said about saving your seeds, this is another good reason to support local farmers is because large companies like Monsanto, for instance, which we won't right. go too far into, but <laughs> when farmers try to grow the seed and or grow the crop and then save the seeds to plant the next year, hundreds of farmers, uh, small local farmers were sued because, well, right. those seeds that came from those crops are actually patented and blah, blah, blah. I have a huge issue right. with patents on seeds. I mean, this is, uh, yes. you didn't make it. You, sure, you altered it, but you're not the original, <laughs> you know. No, why so, Why do we even issue those? It's, yeah. it's crazy. And these are issues that we can address with mm-hmm. our investments. Absolutely. So let's let's talk about that. We have to, as individuals, as investors, push our investments, our advisors, our mutual fund managers, all of those folks who are making the decisions on what to buy or sell to look at all of these issues. Climate change is such a hot topic, right? Mm-hmm. And so is social justice issues. But are we relating those back to actual human beings and how they're affecting them? Yeah. I don't, you know, and and our food systems. It's it's so interesting to me that there is very little being done in that. But our food systems and our agricultural systems, they're not a silo issue. It's not just an issue sitting out here that we should probably pay attention to. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Eric, everything, practically everything in impact investing touches our food systems. So... And yeah. I could probably talk about that for a really long time, but I, I think a lot of people, if they've been listening to my podcast, will start to understand that, that climate change is an issue, that our water supply is an issue, how uh, we pay our labor even, and the livelihood that those folks can afford to have or cannot afford to have. So it's our responsibility to let our concerns known 
throughout this industry so that we will see more stock managers, mutual fund managers starting to look at this as a big picture item. It's really this integrated system that we have to look at and pay attention to and think about. So I am starting to push some of the managers that we work with to think about these because really we only have one who kind of does it and that shocks me. Really? Yeah. So mostly right now we have private investments and private funds Mm -hmm. that, that people can look at to invest in local agriculture, things like that. But these are really only available to those high net worth accredited investors. I really wish I had the wherewithal to start a mutual fund <laughs> that, that really just dealt with our food systems hmm. and regenerative agriculture so that everyone could participate. It's not on my list of to-do things though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And of course, the shareholder advocacy. And we see that around the big corporate giants, the one you mentioned earlier, who shall not be named, right? Um, But (laughs) we have to find, yeah, no, no, it's okay. I think so many clients really dislike that as an investment. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, I get it. Um, But we have to look at more public investment options, not just the private high net worth options for folks. And there's also policy change. US SIF, of course, is always on the forefront of any kind of policy. But we really have to look at a governmental policy change on our food and how we're growing it and what we're doing to it. And the same with our agriculture. Some people don't like to eat certain types of meat because of where they come from and how they're grown. Mm -hmm. So why aren't we doing something about that to fix it? That has to come from a governmental level. That has to be a policy change. And again, I don't know why we're not seeing more push at this. But really here, what I'm saying is that we have to look closer at this intersection of our food needs and what our opportunities are to support them and save them, (laughs) really save them. So I want to challenge the listeners of this podcast. I want you, listeners, to, to look at and find ways to support food systems, whether it's your investments, whether you're looking at local food sources, um, share this information with people you know, and think more about agriculture and livestock and how it's being raised and grown. Do you have questions on any of this? Because this is such a fascinating topic really to me well i i do have one thing i mean you said one comment you made is i don't know why we aren't focusing more on this you know from a government perspective and my my initial the first thing that came to my head was the word greed right i mm. mean don't you think it's yeah. greed don't you think it's a, yeah. a a lobbying issue and a you know these multi-million dollar companies that are are continuing to do these things that we we know probably are not good or we actually know are not good they have lobbyists there's the government is slow to move on anything because they don't want to upset their constituents blah 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 or really they don't want to upset the people with the money but this is why i love showing up every time to this podcast because (laughs) the listeners have the money 
the listeners have the money and they can they can put their money where their heart is and their values are and and where their thoughts are in that investing piece that you're talking about. And so I think that's the only way we can fight it really, because you can write as many letters as you want, but if somebody's getting paid, whether it's under the table, over the table, taken out for drinks and dining and, Oh, look, there's a new car in your garage. How did that get there? Um, Right. uh, It's really hard (laughs) to fight. I can't disagree with you on this. It's true. And we, there's always, there's a saying, I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, the two things that move the market, the stock market are fear and greed absolutely so those are the it's true and and it's not a i don't want i don't mean that as a negative thing because we do get scared Um, Mm -hmm. and we also look at it some people just look at this in a positive way we want our investments to make money and that's of course yeah leans towards the greedy side but there are those who lean way over to that side so we don't want to think about that i just want to say to the listeners again to let us know if they want to learn more about how to shift their investments to pay attention to our food systems and agricultural systems if they want to know more about private investments again very small number of people but there's a lot we can do in investment portfolios now and i want to push those more so please call us or email the team at Horizons at 505-982-9661. Email address is info at horizonssfs.com. And you can always email me as well directly if you have questions for me. And that's kim at horizonssfs.com. Kim, thank you again. I mean, I, I love this journey. Um, I'm not going to tell my wife she's running on a chocolate. I just refuse to do that no. at this point. But you give me a heads up, would you? Because if that's if that, ha- that happens, then I've got to be prepared. Right. Okay. You, you just, should be. As long as you agree with me. <laughs> you, might wanna, okay. you might want to start stuffing some in the freezer. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the chocolate hoarder in Nebraska. Right. <laughs> I got four chest freezers full of chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. Well, Kim, again, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Eric, for joining me on this journey today. Oh, I will every time, every time. And of course, our last thank you goes to the listener. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Grego Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Kim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. listening to Deep Impact Investing, the sustainable, responsible impact investing podcast that shows you how to invest like you give a damn. If you have questions about this podcast or topics you'd like to hear addressed on an upcoming podcast, email us at kim at horizonssfs.com. Join the conversation on Twitter at Horizons S-U-S-T-F-I-N or give us a call at 505-982-9661. Don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available. The companies we may speak about during our podcast are not recommendations for investment. Only you and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you. 
Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc., and its financial professionals do not render tax or legal advice. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guest and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. None of this content may be used or duplicated without the express written agreement of the podcast host.